and so we know if you had brothers and sisters, you know uh, that sometimes you don't get along with your brothers and sisters. Sometimes you disagree with them. Sometimes you fight with them. Sometimes you might punch and kick and scratch. It can get sometimes a little bit ugly. We had three kids in our home. We have, um, some of you know Caden, and we have another son and another daughter. Uh, and so, yeah, they sometimes don't get along. And so when you look at the Bible and you think about the Bible, uh, there are many miracles in the Bible, right? There are, there are amazing things that we hear that God did in the Bible. He did um, amazing things, uh, and we write to call them miracles. But I'm going to talk to you today about one thing that I call a miracle, uh, even though it's never called a miracle in the Bible. And uh, I think anybody who has had brothers and sisters could probably agree that this might be a miracle. And the miracle is that James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, became a follower of his brother, and he actually became someone who not only believed that his brother was the Messiah, the Son of God, but lived his whole life and ended up giving up his life for the sake of testifying the truth about his brother. And I think that's a miracle because, you know, what would it take for you, obviously none of our brothers and sisters were God's son or God's, you know, uh, the Messiah, but what would it have taken for you to believe that your sibling, your brother that you knew was the Messiah, the Savior of all mankind. Uh, and I think it's a miracle that God revealed himself. Not only he reveals himself to us, and he shows himself to be who he is and to be true to each one of us, but he also showed himself to be the Savior to his brother, James. And so we're going to look at the book of James and Today we'll be looking at chapter 1, but first I wanted to talk a little bit more about who James was and understand who this was that's writing to us. Now, if you, uh, Galea was nice enough to read chapter 1 for us earlier, and you hear James is very direct. He's speaking, he's speaking truth and wisdom, and he's, he's calling it like it is. He's, he's telling the truth uh, about what he believes, and so he seems to be a very direct person. And so first I want to read from John 7. Before we turn and look at um, James 1, there's a few passages I want to share from. James, uh, in John 7, uh, we hear, this is John 7, verses 1 through 5. And this is a little story that shows you a little bit about Jesus' half-brothers, his brothers. John 7, chapter 1. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand, so his brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also must see the works that you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. So John felt it important for us to understand that Jesus you know, was fully God and he was fully man. He had a fully human mom, Mary, and that mom, Mary, had other children. And some of them were boys. They were brothers who, it seems, must have been raised up with Jesus. And it says here, for not even his brothers believed in him. Now, we don't, it doesn't elaborate a lot on that, but I think 
it was very important for us to understand that at this point in time, that the brothers of Jesus were not truly like fully on board with what he was teaching. They were not fully his followers. It says here, for they, not even his brothers, believed in him. Now, we know that Jesus had many followers, and some of his followers on this earth had different ideas about him. Some of them thought maybe he's going to be a great military leader. Some of them thought maybe he's going to be a revolutionary, more like a political figure. Uh, Jesus never said those things about himself. But it's, it's common uh, when you have somebody who is a teacher or someone who is an authority that sometimes people will get in their head different ideas about him. So maybe you know it's possible that's what was going on here with Jesus' brothers, uh, that they, uh, they were around Jesus. They were obviously there. We see times where it points out and it says uh, that Jesus' family, including his brothers, were there around him. Uh, but it seems like they, they didn't fully understand who Jesus was and what he was saying about himself. And so at this point, anyway, it seems that they were not fully followers of Jesus. And so when did that change? Well, we don't know the full story. We don't know all the details. You know, as the Bible, it tells us many, many things about Jesus. It tells us uh, a lot about the story of Jesus, but it doesn't tell us everything about that happened during his time on earth. And so what we know is at this point, they weren't believers. They weren't, uh, you know, followers, full followers of Jesus. And we do know that later... That changed uh, for James. And so we're going to read from another passage, a couple of different passages. What changed? Well, first of all, in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, 1 Corinthians chap, uh, chapter 15, verse 7, Paul writes this. He says, speaking about the Lord Jesus, Jesus appeared to James, then to all the apostles. So we know from this that the crucified Christ who was raised from the dead appeared to his brother James. And so it was important for Jesus. Jesus wanted to appear to his brother. You know, whether he was already a follower of his, uh, I can imagine that this was a pivotal moment in James becoming who he was as a follower of his brother. James would have known what had happened to Jesus. He would have known about uh, the crucifixion of his brother, he would have known that he had died on a cross. He would have known that he had been buried in a tomb. He may have been there. He may have heard it from his mom, Mary. But he had known, he would have known what had happened that Easter weekend. And so after the crucifixion and burial of Jesus, what do we know about the disciples, the followers? We know that for the most part, they were hiding. They had ran. They had been afraid for their lives. They were not the foundation, the great foundation upon which Christ would build his church at that point. Uh, they were the people who would become that. But what we know about them is they were people who went into hiding. And so it seems that maybe James was perhaps one of them as well, whether he was a follower of Christ or not at that point. He was, he was someone who was not the person he would become because he had not, uh, he'd not fully you know, converted to that or he had not fully believed in that. Uh, and so Jesus chose to appear to his brother. He chose to come to his brother and reveal himself as the resurrected Lord, the Messiah, to his brother. And so we can imagine that that would have had an amazing impact on James. That would have 
whether that is the moment of his true faith and believing, we don't know. They don't record that in scripture. But we knew know from that point on what happened with James. Uh, that James was recorded at being at Pentecost. We know that he would become a primary leader in the church in Jerusalem. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, uh, Paul says that refers to James as an apostle. He says in verse 19, I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. And so at that point, Paul is referring to uh, James as an apostle of the Lord. He's a follower, a full follower, and, and not only just a follower, but one of the apostles of the Lord Jesus. We see in the book of Acts, we see when there was a controversy that arose about what rules should we follow as Jews, as Jews uh, who have become and put our faith in Jesus Christ and become followers of him. How should we proceed? Should we proceed? And what should we do? And we see that the leaders of the church came together and we see James, as the Lord's brother, had an important voice in saying what they should do. In, uh, in Galatians 2.9, further on in Galatians, Paul calls James, along with Peter and John, one of the pillars of the church. Now, there are other things that we know from James, about James, uh, that we, we have from what we call church tradition. You know, it's, it's not in scripture, but these are things uh, that were recorded by the early church. Uh, that tell about him. Uh, from that, um, there's a, a reference to James uh, as old camel knees. Now, this is a positive thing. So if, if someone were to tell you, you should trust that guy, you should listen to him, we call him old camel knees. What could that possibly mean? Well, for James, it meant that he was a man of prayer. He was on his knees in prayer so much that he had a reputation for having thick calluses on his knees because he spent so much time praying. So this is something that's recorded in, in, uh, in church history, that he was known as a man of prayer. He's also known, and we see this in the book of James, uh, he was often called James the Just because he was a man who believed in uh, caring for the poor. That was a part of the message that was a part of the Church of Jerusalem. And we also know from church tradition uh, that it, according to tradition that he died for his faith, that he was a leader of the church in Jerusalem. He was a faithful, he was considered the, you know, what we might call today the pastor of the church of Jerusalem. Uh, and the story goes, according to church tradition, that he was testifying to a crowd that his brother Jesus was now at the right hand of God and that he would return today. And according to this Historian, upon hearing that testimony, James was taken out of the temple, thrown off uh, the temple, stoned, uh, and brought to his death uh, because of his faith and because of his testimony. And so these are things that are extra biblical. I, you know, we, we say that we believe it's trustworthy, but I, it's not authoritatively from Scripture. But it's, it fits with this, 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 per, this perspective of James that James was the brother of Christ. He was a man who uh, cared deeply about the faith, who converted to becoming a follower uh, and an apostle of his brother, the Lord Jesus. And he faithfully served, according to what we know in the book of Acts and from Paul's letters and from this letter from James, as someone who proclaimed that truth and followed it through uh, up until the point 
uh, according to church history, uh, to his death of suffering as a fate of as a martyr. And so why do I share this before we get into the book? Um, I just think it's important for us to understand that uh, we as Christians, we hold to the truth of Scripture. We believe that the Bible is God's holy word to us. We proclaim that to people. We tell that we can trust this. And we trust it because of God, right? We trust it because of our faith in God and our belief in God and what he has done. Uh, but we also trust it because God was real. He was living and Jesus was real and he lived. And a, a man like James, who maybe at one point was somewhat skeptical of some of, of what was taught by his brother, believed in it and changed his whole direction of his life and was willing to live his life and was willing to live up to the point of even dying for what he believed. And this is not somebody who, who had distance you know, from the story of Christ. This is not someone who had distance from the Christ. Just as the apostles, as followers who lived day by day with Jesus, you know, James would have been there. He would have known all of this. He would have seen all of the things that are testified to in Scripture. And after this, he is a man who, who lived and believed all these things. And so I wanted you to just think about who that was, you know, as we read in, again and look at these verses again from the book of James, knowing that uh, these, are, these are not just words on a page. This is God's holy word to us. And it is written by people who knew and understand and believed this and were willing to testify to the truth of who Jesus was up until the point of even of their death. And I think that's miraculous. You know, it, every, uh, everyone who comes from darkness into light, who believes the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is a miracle. And it's only through the miraculous work of God that anyone and any one of us, that my, myself, or any of you, can come from that fate that we hold, which is eternal condemnation for our sin, to finding salvation in Jesus Christ. And so here again is the testimony of, of one more of those uh, you know, miraculous people. This is a divine book. This is the New Testament, the faithful testimony of true followers of God, men like James, um, and we should treat, treat it as such. Now, the book of James, uh, for those of you who have been uh, participating in our community groups and our home groups, uh, we've been studying some in the book of Proverbs. Uh, I assume that's in all of the groups. I know it's in our group. Uh, we've been looking at the group of uh, the book of Proverbs. And the book of James actually goes really well with the book of Proverbs because it's a book of wisdom. It's James as the leader of a church that suffered intense persecution, you know, what could be considered almost like the first Christian church of the world. Um, he is trying to impart a lot of what he has learned from the wisdom of God. And you see parallels from some of the wisdom we see in Proverbs in the book of James. You also see a lot of similarities to his brother's message in the Sermon on the Mount. As Jesus proclaimed his teaching for the church in the Sermon on the Mount, there are a lot of what James draws from uh, that parallels that. And so let's begin, as you'll open, uh, we'll be in the book of James the rest of the time in chapter 1. James, the pastor of the first church of Jerusalem, the brother of our Lord Jesus, the half-brother of our Lord Jesus, writes these words for us. 
starting in verse 1, James 1, 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, the, the church in Jerusalem... Uh, more so than maybe many of the other churches in the, the New World and the churches that we're talking about in the book of Acts, um, was a church that had been primarily composed of Jewish believers who had become followers of Jesus Christ. And as you know, uh, if you read in the book of Acts in Acts 1, uh, Jesus had given the command that they would spread the gospel out throughout the whole world. Uh, well, we get through the first few chapters of Acts and we get to chapter 8, and uh, most of the followers that had heard that message in chapter 1, it seems, were still in Jerusalem. They were still in that vicinity. And what happens in chapter 8? We have a lot of persecution comes, and that persecution drives out some of the believers. Many of these believers had fled, and we know who was the persecutor. It's another guy that we had uh, mentioned. One of the primary persecutors was Saul, who became known as Paul. And so you had these believers who had fled, and they had went out. And that is the crowd that mostly this letter is written to. And so James is writing to people who, many of whom had been a part of his church, you know, the church that he helped lead there in Jerusalem. And they had scattered, they had fled, they had ran from persecution, they had fled from these things. And so he is telling to them this message, this Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. You know, what we know about the Jerusalem church, we know that they were persecuted. They know that a lot of them uh, were people who had been Jews, who had, you know, who had been followers of the Jewish faith, who had become followers of the Christian faith of, of, the, of Jesus Christ, just as James himself had. We know that they were not a wealthy church. We see several evidences in Scripture that they were sending uh, gifts that Paul was sending gifts back to the church in Jerusalem, and so you have uh, you have this this vision of this church. You know, he counted all joy, and he talks about in the faith, and he says in verse four, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, lacking in nothing, I, I doubt very uh, seriously that it, he's talking about uh, financial and physical needs there. This is a spiritual statement. Um, the great trials that they are experiencing uh, is not to bring them to a point where they lack nothing physically or that they lack nothing fiscally, you know, with money, but to where they would lack nothing spiritually. And another way that this could be translated when it talks about bringing them to completion in their faith is to say that their faith will be fully developed. That's another way that you could translate that word. Uh, now, it's interesting to me that knowing that this is James, the brother of Jesus, someone who had seen these things, who the Lord himself as the resurrected Messiah had appeared to in person, how does James describe himself in the opening of this chapter? You know, he says, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, again, think about that. This is the brother of Jesus. This is, this is what happens when a miraculous thing happens, and you understand that this, my Abi in Turkish, my brother, my older brother, Jesus, is not just 
the son of my, uh, you know, my mom, but he is the Lord of the universe. He is the Messiah. He is our only hope. And so he says, as he identifies himself, he's not claiming authority or special place. You know, uh, I think most of you may be from societies where it's a big deal if you're the brother or the sister of somebody important, right? You know, if, if your brother was a high official in government or if he was the most famous football player uh, in, your, in your country, well, it would be a big deal to say, oh, well, I'm the brother of, of this person, you know. And so here you have James, who is the brother of literally the most significant person in the history of the universe. And he doesn't say, James, the brother of Jesus writing to you. No, he says, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a servant of my brother. And he knows firsthand he had seen his brother's suffering. He had seen Jesus' suffering. And he had seen the suffering that was brought by following the teachings of the Messiah. At this point, like as I said, the church had already been scattered. You had already seen many people spreading out and scattered because of the persecution that had come their way because of them being followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, trials and testing of our faith are worthy of joy. Now that's not saying that we're masochists, that we're people who relish suffering and pain. That's not who Christians are. But it means that when you are tried for your faith, when you have this challenge that comes to your faith, we have no real choice but to turn to Jesus. We have no real choice but to turn to God. And that's that process of becoming closer to God, completed in our faith, developed in our faith, comes about through the use of trials. Trials are one of the things that brings that about uh, better. You know, f- faith, some people preach a, a Christianity or a type of faith or a religion uh, that God would say, uh, you know, to, that, that their teaching would say that God wants you to have money or God wants you to have comfort or God wants you to have wealth. But what happens if you're, if you're teaching that false gospel when, those, when that doesn't happen, you know, when, you're, when you don't get the, the good job or when you lose your job or when you don't, you know, when bad things happen and you lose your home in a fire. Well, that faith is ultimately not worth anything more than what it was built on, which was nothing. Because the Bible doesn't tell us that we will have, um, because we follow God, we will have all the things we need. That's not what it's saying here. When he says lacking in nothing, he's not talking about lacking in all of these physical things. He's talking about lacking in spiritual things. And that's why we built our faith on this. Now, we're going to be reading through the rest of the chapter, and we'll be looking at this. And keep these things in mind, who James was, but also that James' goal is helping, he's he's trying to convey practical wisdom for living to the believers that he was talking to. He wanted them to be encouraged, but he also wanted them to understand some of the truths uh, of what he had grown to learn and understand by following Jesus. So I'm going to start reading again in verse 5. In verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith 
with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the fathers of light with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that he should be kind of first fruits of his creations, of his creatures. Now, as I said before, James is often called like a wisdom book of the New Testament. Uh, Actually, in the church we were at in Istanbul, we paired a study of James with Proverbs. We looked at them kind of together back to back. Um, and each one of these books is kind of, they're steeped in a practical wisdom for a life following God. And I see here, James is a follower of Jesus. He's a believer in the, that Jesus is God's only hope for mankind, but he's also a pastor and he's wanting to give these people who have suffered persecution, who have fled, uh, fled for their lives, fled persecution. He's wanting to give them practical advice to help them be able to live as followers of Jesus. Uh, And the first thing you see, you know, he calls on those who lack wisdom to seek it and find it in God. We ask for wisdom and faith, believing in God as the source of wisdom. He uh, is telling people that if you lack wisdom, you should ask for it. You should seek it out. And a lot of what you see here is kind of a contrast between the world's wisdom and the wisdom of God. Uh, you know, you, he has the passage he's talking about. Uh, the one who is brought low is actually high. The rich man who is humiliated. This is talking about having an eternal perspective. You know, realizing that it is a blessing to remain steadfast under trial. That every good and perfect gift does come up from above. Uh, to not too, to put too much of our uh, emphasis on our own ability to save ourselves or to control our own lives. Uh, a lot of times I'm from America and America as a Western culture is often obsessed with efficiency or getting things right or being organized or being able to schedule and plan everything. And if we, if we plan it all out, it, we will be able to get this result. You, you do these things, step, 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 you know. Uh, and so in, in my country, a lot of times you see uh, five steps for a wonderful Christian life, you know, 10 steps to seeing your church grow, all these things. And I just have to say that, um, unfortunately, that often is putting way too much hope in the wisdom of man as opposed to the wisdom of God. Now, can we be smart? Can we learn things? Can we look at what has happened from before and learn from that? Well, yes, all that is true. But ever, if, if ever that leads us into putting our hope in our own wisdom apart from the wisdom of God, it's leading us to a dead end. And I, this passage, when it says, you know, that the, the rich man is hum- 
is humiliated or brought low. Uh, I think that's, that's a good picture of often how when you, when you think, I can figure it out, I'm smart enough, I'm smart enough to figure out my life, I'm smart enough to figure out everything, how to make our, our church better. Uh, that's kind of a dead-end trip that you're taking, you know. And fortunately, you know, one of the things that God did in my life is I lived in, in, in Turkey for 20 years. And uh, when you live in a country like Turkey, you, you tend to learn uh, I'm not smart enough to figure out anything about how to help God in this country. It, everything we're doing is completely dependent on God, and every person who follows him in faith is a complete miracle of God. It's not anything that anybody was smart enough or wise enough or clever enough to do. It's all uh, something that only God can do. And I think we should all realize that, you know, that we can be, uh, we can be people who have plans. We can be people who try to be intelligent and look and engage things in, a, in, a, in, a, in an intelligent way. But that doesn't mean that we put our trust in our own intelligence above that of God, our own wisdom above that of God. Uh, the passage on temptation, I want to focus on that a little bit because I think this is a really, this really pairs well with the Sermon on the Mount. Um, you know, he talks about temptation and being rooted in desire. Uh, it's the power of, you know, sin to control our lives uh, based on this desire that people have in them uh, to pursue sin. But he phrases it like this, desire gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown gives birth to death. Uh, this is a very interesting way to look at it, you know, that, that we have a desire in us, um, and that desire can kind of lead to sin, and that sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So I actually thought about this like in, a, in kind of like four points, <laughs> but if, if you look at, at it, and so I'm going to give you four Ds related to temptation, you know, to kind of thinking about how we deal with temptation in our lives. Um, now, desire, is desire a bad thing? Can you have a good desire? It actually talks about in Scripture about desiring the things of God. And, and uh, there's a, a famous pastor in America called John Piper who wrote it, you know, has his whole platform is called Desiring God. So I would just say desire is not bad. You know, desire is something that is created by God. We have desires, and we should desire good things. We should desire wonderful things that are created by God. We should desire the fruits of the Spirit, we should desire to see God grow in our lives. So desire is not bad. But a misplaced desire, a desire for something that is distorted or not from God is, is, is the root of sin. And that's what he's talking about here. And so we could say desire like is a lust for something. Uh, so the first D is desire. You know, if our desire is placed on an ungodly thing, uh, that's, that's where you get to be, a, you know, your, your problem can begin. And so, um, as as uh, a desire could just be a feeling, right? So we have a desire, and so if you have that desire for a, for something that's ungodly or for something that you shouldn't, um, that's not a sin to just have that desire. But the next step, I'm going to call it deception, and that's where you have a desire for something that should that's ungodly. And then you start to think about, hmm, would it really be that bad if I did that? Would, would I, would it really, you know, basically it's a process you could say like justifying it in your head. Uh, I, in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, Matthew 5, 27 and 28, I think this is kind of what Jesus was talking about when he said, you have heard that it was said, 
you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, Jesus was really raising the bar for their culture. He was saying, it's not just about a physical act of sin. It's about this heart attitude that you have. And I think this is where this deception is, where, you, where you're in your heart, you have a desire, you see something, and you think, oh, I want that. And you, you don't just have a fleeting desire for something that's ungodly. You've actually taken it, and you're trying, starting to deceive yourself, and you're starting to act out, and you're starting to, to think about how, uh, you know, can I justify actually doing that? You know, how can I... Uh, make it so it's, I feel okay about the path that I'm starting out on. The second one, the, the so de- deception would be the second part. The third part is, is where you, you start to plan. And I'm going to call that design. And this is where you actually are coming up with a plan to sin. Now you haven't, if you go back to the law, where you have the Jewish law, you haven't actually sinned according to the law. But Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount has said, if you have had a desire and then you started trying to think about how can I make that okay and then you start thinking about how can I actually do that, then Jesus said it's no different than if you actually had, had sinned. You'd no actually done it. And so the fourth step is just the sin, the actual de-disobedience. You know, so I'm saying like if you have a desire, that's we have desires, but when you start to, you know, go into your heart and deceive yourself, and then you start to design and come up with a plan, and then you get ready to act. And so I think when you're thinking about this, James James was trying to get people to understand that this is a process, and you need to cut it off early on in the process. You know, you don't want to have this sinful desire get to the point where it gives birth and leads to death. And so, you know, he uses terminology almost like uh, someone who's going to have a baby. And if you're going to have a baby, it starts with a process, right? (laughs) It starts with a a beginning. And so, don't if you don't want to suffer the consequences of your sin, you need to not take the first step onto that path of sin. And those who base their lives on the truth will instead be satisfied in the truth. You know, rather than being tempted towards evil, we focus on good. You know, and James is encouraging believers to be satisfied with everything good that comes from God. Verse 18 uses a little bit similar uh, terminology. He says, brought, uh, brought forth by the word of truth. And that's kind of like, um, you know, sin can leave one place and truth can lead to another. And so instead of being born into this, sin and death in this process, you should be born to a life in truth. You know, we don't become righteous by our actions. We are righteous because of what's in our heart, just as Pastor Phil was sharing with the children earlier. You know, we need a new heart, a new being. That's who we are. Um, And Jesus called us to a higher standard, to be regenerated into the truth, to to uh, to have our hearts grounded to him. Uh, to have that new life that begins in him. I'm going to read the last of the chapter, starting in verse 19, chapter 1, verse 19 to 27. 
Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with weakness, with meekness and the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So what he's talking about is a Christian worldview. This is a worldview that James is giving, you know, to, to help people understand. And as he said before, James is primarily writing to people who were Jewish believers. They, so these were people who were grounded in the law. They knew the law. They knew what it meant to, if I do this, I have followed God. If I do this, I've, you know, not followed God. And so it was about a rule book. And so he's fleshing this out and kind of like looking at their understanding of what it meant to follow God through the lens of his, his brother's teaching, you know, through the Sermon of the Mount and other things that he had heard to help them understand that it's not bad to have the law. It's not bad to have an understanding of right and wrong, an understanding of, you know, what it means to sin and what it means to not sin. But he wants them to know that if you're just getting down to it and saying, I'm going to draw the line here and I'm going to say this here is sin and this here is not sin. And it's all about just your actions and all about just, you know, can I, you know, put more good in this box than I have in this box that's bad, then you're missing the point. Because he was talking about, first of all, that you have this, this heart attitude, this belief, you know, this understanding that is actually lived out. Now, for example, if you think of that verses 19 and 20, um, I've heard these, these verses. These are, these are actually verses I memorized long, long ago, you know, 20, 30 years ago. These are verses that practically affect your daily life, right? How many of you, if you this week applied be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become anger, would see a difference in your interactions with the people that you're, you're dealing with. That as you're dealing with people, it, any tense situation that you're in, whether it's your roommates, your family members, your brothers and sisters, uh, you know, officials at your school, officials with the government, or people you're waiting in line with to get tested with, being slow to anger, you know, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to be angry. This is a very practical, lived out, wise saying of how it means to uh, follow Jesus. And so this is what James is talking about. He's saying, you know, not just don't be angry, but being a kind of person who your character is changed and transformed so that you are known as a person who when a tense situation arrives, when a difficult situation arrives, 
you're not defending yourself. You're not, you know, because what, what is this really about? You know, if you are quick to speak and quick to become angry, what is it usually about? It's about you, right? It's about you stepping up and defending your rights, your privileges, your position. And so someone who is following what James has said here to say, I am going to listen first. I'm going to speak only after I really understand what they're saying, and I'm not going to rush to getting angry. That's someone who has been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ on a level that impacts the people that they're interacting with. And so James was was talking to a people who had no position in most of the places they were in. You know, they were they were already maybe even running for their lives. They were not in position. And so it actually made me think uh, about when Phil said this earlier, you know, we are here as guests, right? Uh, we are a lot like these uh, Jewish Christians who were running for their lives and fleeing into places where they would have no rights, really. You know, they don't have, they don't, you know, often would be in a place where they don't vote or they don't have full citizenship or full rights in their community. And that's why, like, you know, this is not only the right thing to do that demonstrates the heart of God into the, to the lives of the people that we're interacting with, but it's also a very wise thing to do, right? If you don't have any rights in society, you know, to, to go around being bold and brash. We had, um, you know, friends uh, in Turkey who got, arre- who got arrested uh, for going out and telling people about Jesus. Now, that's, that's an exaggeration. And I'll tell you why. Because in that country, it is not illegal to go and tell people about Jesus. There's actually a law that says it's okay to to do that. And so how could they get arrested? Well, they didn't get arrested really for that. They get arrested because there are other laws, right? There are laws in the country. There are laws that say you can't create a disturbance. And what I found with the, with our, uh, the officials there is they're just doing their job. They're good people. They're just trying to do their job. And what are their job is to keep the peace, right? You know, another name for police officers is peace officers. They are keeping the peace. And most of the time, all they cared about was keeping the peace. They didn't want to have something happen in their area and get yelled at, you know, by their supervisor. You know, why did you allow this to happen in your area? And so they wanted to keep the peace. And so most of the time when people got in trouble, it was because... You had somebody, now I had a friend who went out regularly and went even on the street and and would tell people about Jesus. And he knew that when the peace officers came, they were trying to keep the peace. And he was going to honor them by respecting them and doing everything he could to help them keep the peace. And so why did sometimes I had friends who were detained or taken in or arrested by the police? It was often because you had somebody who was a little hot-headed, you know, who was like, no, no, the law says we can do this, and would get in the face of the police officer or the peace officer and say, I have a right. Well, maybe they were technically right, but what were they doing? They were actually violating other laws to keep the peace. And so oftentimes, you know, In verse 20, it says, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Um, 
you know, we, we have a choice about how we behave in a situation. And when James was looking at this, he was preaching to a people who he was not telling, don't go out and, you know, go out and, and you should be careful and stop telling people about Jesus. James was not telling about that. He was, he was boldly proclaiming Jesus where he was at. And according to church tradition, he actually died doing that, telling people about Jesus. He wasn't telling people to not be bold in telling people about Jesus. But he's telling them a way to help them understand that we can be doing that in a way that is, is, is demonstrating who God is uh, to the people we're interacting with. And he wanted people to be you know, bold and to be sharing with people, uh, but not in a way that is is led by the flesh or led by the wisdom of man, but is led by the wisdom of God. He says, to be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving themselves. And that's a, that's a wonderful message um, you know, for the Jewish Christians to hear, to help them understand that if you follow and believe what Jesus says, it's going to make a difference in your daily life. And that is a wonderful message for our church. And it's a wonderful message for the church around the world. Because oftentimes people who, especially people who have been Christians and they've been followers of Jesus for a long time, were wonderful at absorbing knowledge, right? Information into our heads. You know, and so we can hear a message. We want to have the wisdom of God. We want to have the wisdom that comes from learning and studying God's word. But when it comes time to actually applying that in what might be difficult ways, we kind of skip over that. Well, maybe, yeah, as the church, we should do that. You know, as the whole global church or as maybe as the left kosher Protestant church, we should be helping with that. But what about me personally? You know, what am I going to do to actually live that out? And I love this little picture. Did you know there's actually a, there's a, uh, a psychological disorder where there are people who they go and they, they don't recognize themselves in a mirror? That like if they look in a mirror, they don't know that they're looking at themselves? It's very rare, but there are actually people like that. And how strange would that be to be a person like that, that that can't recognize the nose on your face, (laughs) you know, or to be like he says here, a man who looks intently in the mirror, like you're fixing your hair, you're getting ready, you know, you know, shaving or whatever. And then you immediately forget what you look like. And so James is looking at this. He's saying, you know, somebody who looks at God's word that looks at the teaching of the Bible. They, they read it, they put it in their head, but they immediately walk away and then they forget it. It's like somebody who looks in a mirror and immediately walks away and I don't even know if my, oh, is my hair, what color is my hair? You know, what color is my skin? How ridiculous is that to think about it? James is saying it's that ridiculous to be someone and to say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but to receive the information and then just immediately forget it is just as ridiculous as someone who looks in a mirror and forgets it completely. Instead, he says, true religion. And they, you know, religion is a word like sometimes Christians, we don't like the word religion. We're like, oh yeah, religion, that's just the rules of man. 
But you find the word religion a lot in the Bible. And it doesn't specifically condemn religion. Instead, it condemns a specific type of religion. It's condemning a religion that is only rule-following, that is someone who is, is just calling himself religious but doesn't actually practice any of the things that the religion teaches. And so as followers of Christianity, you know, if we are to believe the words of Jesus, believing them doesn't just mean, oh, yeah, I believe that, and I check the box, and I can say I believe it, and that should get me into heaven. No. James is saying true believers, people who believe what Jesus has said, are the ones that are going to put boots to the ground. You know, they're the ones that are actually going to be going out and doing the things that he has said. And this is the worldview of James. He's, he's helping us to understand. And sometimes people um, who, are, who are wanting to emphasize the grace, the wonderful grace that we receive uh, by our faith in Jesus Christ, where we have not earned that salvation, they get a little uncomfortable with James because he talks a lot about actually doing what some might define as works, you know, what doing the works of Christ. But you have to understand, James is not saying that faith is not important, and he's not saying that we are earning our salvation. For James, in his worldview, in his way of looking at the world, he's like, he understood at such a deep level what it was that Jesus Christ had done for him, what his brother, half-brother, had done for him that he couldn't imagine any other way than it being lived out. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you see needs, you see an ability to help people, uh, why in the world? He can't imagine why you wouldn't actually do and act and so you're not just hearing the good things, the truth of this gospel. You're not just hearing the truth of God's word, but you're applying it. And that that is how we are completing the perfect law of liberty. We have freedom uh, and we are free because of what God has done for us. You know, we're not bound by any of these, these rules. Instead, we are free in Christ to live as he has, has set us apart to live. And so he's writing this as an encouragement for a persecuted, suffering church. Um, he knew what he was saying was true. He knew it was more than worth it. And he would keep preaching this word even to the end and even to his death, even though it meant his death. And that's the hope we have and the promises we have. And so I think, you know, one, just I think it's important to take this to heart as we, as we, as we hear this word from James, the brother of Jesus, not just you know, that it's a very practical wisdom about what it means to follow Christ and what it means to live that out on a daily basis, but also just as you think about what it means that God's word is holy and true and just and that we can trust God's word, um, understanding the validity of scripture is, is centered in God. You know, When we, we say that God's word is trustworthy, uh, that's about God. It's not about man. It's not about man, even James. But it is also kind of like, it's kind of like an important addendum to understand that it's not just true because it's God's word, but it's also true because we can see the transforming power of God's word lived out in the lives of these believers 
these followers of, of Christ, including James, the brother of Jesus, who took the word of God, understood it, believed it, and lived it out into the point of his death. And now we are a part of that. You know, we have been adopted into God's family. Uh, we have the opportunity to experience the practical spiritual blessings that James was talking about. Uh, we have an opportunity to see our faith completed, our faith brought, uh, yeah, brought to completion, fully developed as we follow him and continue in that faith. So I want to challenge you as a church, you know, as you read the Bible, as you read books uh, of the Bible, including the book of James, uh, take these words to heart to not merely be hearers of the word, not merely, merely be believers that take, you know, a verse that we've learned or memorized or heard and put it into your head, uh, but to, to realize that every word of God's word is designed for application. It's designed for us to take it and think about what can we do um, to, to live this out in our daily lives? Now, tonight we'll be gathering to discuss this, and I'm going to challenge everybody who's listening, whether you're here in person or whether you're listening online, to think about what is one practical truth that I want to apply beginning today that I've learned in hearing from, from what James has written here today. You know, what is one of these bits of wisdom that James has shared that I want to apply today? Now, if you're here today or if you're listening online and you have not accepted the truth of salvation through Jesus Christ, there's no time like today. This word is true. And James, perhaps like someone listening today, was once a skeptic, someone who wasn't sure if this was true. You know, someone who wasn't really sure if Jesus was God's son or wasn't really sure that Jesus was the Messiah. And yet, just like James and just like many of these followers, just like Saul on the road to Damascus, um, when you see the truth and you understand the truth, we have no choice but to believe the truth. And I would challenge you today, if you are someone who has not yet given your life to Jesus Christ, to, to hear this word and hear the word of truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to understand that just like James, Jesus, we can believe the truth that Jesus died and was buried but the most important truth and the greatest miracle of all history is not that he died and was buried, but that he became alive again and that he triumphed over sin and death uh, and lived again and was resurrected to, to new life. And we who put our faith in him and believe in him as God's son and as uh, the savior of the world, we can experience that triumph over death as well. And so let's take this to heart, let's believe this, and let's live this out this week. Let's take a minute to pray before we have our closing song. God, we are grateful um, that we have this word. You know, we, we know that you are enough, and yet you have, got, you have given us your holy word. We know that your word is enough, and yet you have given us your church. And we have all these things as a wonderful gift um, to us. And yet this gift is not one that we take advantage. It's not a gift that we take lightly. It's not a gift that we, we just take this truth and take it for granted. This is a truth that changes lives. It changed the life powerfully of James. And he came and he gave his life to you and he lived his life for you. 
And all of us are called to do the same. We have been given this truth from God's word. We've been given this truth of your holy message. And we can live our lives different, changed followers of God, adopted sons and daughters into the kingdom that we can now call ourselves brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ because of what Christ has done for each of us. And we pray for this truth to take root in each of our lives. In Jesus' name.